<laughs> one of my oldest friends, I think, as in like, long I've known you rather than your age. <laughs> one of my oldest friends, Stuart Linden, is with us here on the Shares of Gay. Be careful. <laughs> Right, Stuart, you're a chef by trade. Uh, eventually, we'll get into talking about your life as a photographer and all the exciting things that happened during that and why suddenly every magazine and interview is clawing at your door at the moment. So tell us, uh, back in 16, as a northern gay lad, as you realised that you were, what was your motivation to come to have a good where you are now? Work. Quite simple. A job. I finished school at uh, 16 and um, I knew I was gay, uh, but really had had very little uh, sexual experience. Um, Calder Valley was one of those uh, backwaters in life. There was no gay bars. There was no gay community that I knew of or even even knew existed, to be honest. I didn't know there was such a thing as a gay scene. And um, I finished school on the Friday, 1973. And Sunday afternoon, I moved 30, 30 miles away to Harrogate to work. Wow. Living in. Living as a chef. As a apprentice chef. Wow. So what, what made you choose that career? Well, I used to remember having this conversation with my parents and, and the, the school careers teacher, and it was going to be that or a librarian. Oh. <laughs> because I, it was all I ever wanted to do. And it was like, well, what are you going to do if, if you're no good at it? And it was like, well, be a librarian. Because, okay. you know, but I mean... There was no chance of being a librarian. You need you need ologies to be a librarian, and uh, to, to put books on a shelf and take yeah, them out. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you need ologies apparently, and I haven't got any, or I didn't at the time. So I, off I trundled. I went to the the old fashioned careers office, and um, they found me a really good job, and off I went for my five pounds a week living in. Wow, what would it be the equivalent wage now? Well, it was ten p a pint. Uh, Christ, yes, and um, no blaspheming. And uh, it was heavy a pint, and it was forty nine p for a single. As in, like a single is in a record. Yeah, a single is in a, as in an old final fashion forty five wow. RPM, a ninety nine p for an album. So <laughs> just to give you an idea, and it it was uh, it was something like thirty p a gallon for petrol. Wow. So uh, so I had my little. I got my uh, little uh, Honda one two five motorbike and used to pootle up and down. Um, on that and um, and lived lived above the shop uh, in in a hotel in Harrogate. Why food? I think it was just my mother's cooking because she used to make custard on a trifle and it would just be so solid it would crack and she'd expect me to eat it and it would just you know it was just not not a pleasant thing. So um, and it was it, but but I did discover food and um, and and I that's what I went into and I spent my entire. Well, the bulk of my life in that. I went to college one day a week and I ended up spending um, the last 25, 30 years of my life actually teaching. You did release a book during this time, didn't you? Yeah, back in the early 90s, I uh, before computers. Um, well, I think the BBC computer had just come in with the five and, quarter, five and a quarter inch floppy drive. And uh, <laughs> and I sat at the dining table at home with a, with another friend and we hand wrote um a 456 page book for the catering industry uh, which was then transcribed by the secretarial students at the college into um onto five and a quarter inch floppy disks to send to the to the publishers 
But where do you get all your ideas from if the like people would go onto the internet now and get a recipe? So yeah, would, they would. Yeah. But you'd how long would it take to write down as opposed to how you do it, it took, now? It took over a year to write the book. Wow. So I would go to work all day, come home, sit down, have my tea, uh, and then get the paper out and the pen. And um, I had, I remember, I had two two big, you know, if you know the old fashioned crisp boxes, you know, the, yeah, yeah, two two boxes of handwritten manuscript. Wow, it was, um, yeah, it was something. Not something I want to repeat. No, no not at all. <laughs> no. I believe you can still get your book now, no? Uh, yeah, you can find it on on T-Bay. <laughs> Um It's uh, and, and 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 other secondhand shops. Yeah. Um, it still kicks about, but it's out of pr- it's officially out of print. But you know, okay. it was successful. It's in antique its time. shops. Antique shops. Yes. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> so you said that you you came over to Harrogate um, for work. Where where does the whole like gay life and scene come in? Because you said that you didn't realise there, there was a gay scene at all there. So you come through to Harrogate. Was it then that you realised actually there's other people like you? Yeah, uh, there was there was one solitary little gay bar in in um, in Harrogate. And the thing about the catering industry, of course, it does have its fair share of uh, of of gay people, mm-hmm. and um, you got to you got the knowing look. From uh, people in in in, yeah. in work who was like, oh, he's a Mary, okay, <laughs> and uh, and one thing led to another, and you suddenly find yourself in in the the one and only solitary gay bar in Harrogate, which was even wasn't even the proper gay bar; it was a gays were tolerated bar. And, wow! Um, but don't hold hands and don't kiss, otherwise you'll get thrown out and barred. We are talking 1973, 74 through to seventy nine. Uh, and that that was where I discovered that, and then he bumped into people and said, "Oh, we're going, we're going for a night out in Leeds," mm-hmm. and it was like Leeds, never been to Leeds, mm-hmm. and um, so I found myself one weekend, one Sunday lunchtime, on my first trip to the gay scene in Leeds, and it was a it was a pub called the Peel, mm-hmm. and um, that was I think I was nineteen, eighteen or nineteen when I went. I literally went in. Had a half and left very quickly because I didn't know men's heads could turn three hundred and sixty degrees. Here was this fresh meat arriving in, in, and it was just like ooh, you know, and that you could feel the eyes burning, and it was like, okay, I'm off now, <laughs> and I beat a hasty retreat. But I think isn't that most people's first gay experience? Well, I, I, well, I don't think now. No, it's like the apps, isn't it? Well, via the apps now, but back then, I think a lot of people the first time you go on to the gay scene. If I wasn't confident at all, I and mean, if you're if you're really confident, then fair enough. You know, you'll find some drag queen will take you under their arm. In particular, they were really good at that. I think I saw that yeah. quite a few times. But for me, it was it was like, oh, it's too much. I'm going now. Was it was that the lack of confidence because you didn't really know any gay people, or was it because of I didn't the way you felt the, about yourself? I didn't know the rules. I didn't know any other. Yeah, I met other gay people at work. But this was me out on my own, so I didn't have any backup. I didn't have a safety net, you yeah. know. And uh, I was in this bar surrounded by strangers who, who, to be honest, they all looked like they were a hundred years older than me, and um, and it just felt uncomfortable. So I just I should have gone on a Saturday night or something when I'd have been more anonymous and uh, they you know there'd have been a bigger crowd. And once I'd been out once, and then I'd sort of relayed my story to my friends back in Harrogate, and it was like, oh, you silly mayor. And um, so then it was nights out, Saturday nights out or whenever with, with them, we'd all pile into a car and we'd bez over to lead. And so then you discovered the new penny, the dreaded new penny, which was an amazing place. And yeah. um, 
It was a world of its own. There was the new penny. There was a, a, a club called Charlie's, as I remember, long gone. It was an upstairs club. There was the Red Lion, and I think that was it. That was it for the gay scene. And then you'd got a bar in Huddersfield. Manchester was your next port of call. So, so you you was a fully gay man out on the gay scene then, from the people that you you met at work there with your friends on the gay scene. Yeah. What was this about you going out with a woman then? Ah, so I was openly gay to the other gays, but I was whilst I wasn't in the closet. Uh, you could argue I was in the closet, if that's not confusing. Because I never, I've never been one to talk about. I mean, this is probably the first time, other than you know, interviews I've done. And if you want to ask me about it, I'll tell you about it. But I'm not going to um, bang on about it. I've never been a whistleblower. Um, you know, I've never worn sequin shorts and rattled a tambourine and blown a whistle for gay pride. Yeah. Um, that's just not my makeup. You know, I'm perfectly comfortable with who I am and what I am. So I worked beside people of all sexuality in the, the hotel trade there. Um, and if they knew I was gay, they knew I was gay because they were probably gay. But if they're straight, why? Am I, I never felt the need to turn around to them and go, oh, well, I'm gay, you know. As opposed to what it's like now. As opposed to what it's like now, yeah. It, you just didn't, it just wasn't part of daily conversation. So the people who were gay knew I was gay. The people And the people who didn't know I was gay either knew and never mentioned it or or, were, or lived in, in oblivion. Knowing that you were gay and still being closeted, you still went out with a woman. I did, <laughs> yes. Why? Well, well, she fancied me. What Does can I say? The attention I, you got. I know. And uh, what, uh, the thing was, I moved out into a flat. So I was living above the shop in the hotel to start with. And then, and then uh, I got a flat. Um, and she was called Stella, and she was absolutely lovely. She really was nice. Um, and I moved, we shared, if we got a flat together, we shared a flat, but there was nothing between us at um. that time. And then one night, you know, you know what it is, one bottle of wine, three bottles of wine too many, four bottles of wine too many. Christ. And um, the next thing I know, we're, uh, we're in bed. And uh, it turned out she had a burning, passionate desire for me. It only lasted about six months. It wasn't. It wasn't long, but and the awful truth is that I wasn't faithful. No, <laughs> I know. To my great shame, she she used to go to stay with her mother on a Wednesday, and Wednesday night happened to be a local club night, just straight club night, and I would always end up pulling some pretty young thing of same age as myself at the time, and uh, uh, and we'd come back to the flat. You know, wow. so I was a very, very, very naughty boy, <laughs> very, very naughty. And then she emigrated on me. She left. She she went to go and live with her family in Canada. Were you yeah. planning on saying, well, excuse me, but I like a bit of... It never got to that point, but it would have had, obviously, it would have had to have got to that point at some time. Because I certainly didn't feel the same way about, about um, I, I loved it a bit, but not in that way, if you know, if you know what I mean, with the inverted commas, that way. I would never have taken it any further. I would never have proposed, got married, or, you know, I would never have gone that far. But um, it was fun while it lasted for both of us. But so thankfully, it came to a natural end. Yeah, did you ever tell her? No, because I lost contact with her when she'd gone to Canada. And um, the last I heard, she was in Toronto. Toronto. Mm, yeah. And, and that was that. So, no, but I'd love to, I'd love to contact her. Oh, that's that. Well, if, you, if you're listening to, randomly listening to Shades of Gay episode, 
in, in Toronto. Touch with, in Toronto. <laughs> in, in a straight mile. It's a, get in touch with Stuart Linden. So that, that probably takes us into the 80s, where I think things get quite interesting. From there, you are starting to discover more of the gay scene yourself. Oh, yes. I was, I'd become quite flirtatious and more open and comfortable with being gay with with um, people outside of work in particular, in, in a social environment. Uh, I was quite happy to chat somebody up quite comfortably in a straight bar and, uh, and and get comfortable in that in that way. And then we can't ignore the facts, which everyone seems to be covering at the moment, that the age ep- epidemic came around. Which, to be honest, I've known you for twenty odd years now. I've never really mentioned heard you mention anything about that stage of life. Because I think it, I'm tempted to say it passed me by. You know, um, certainly, you know, growing up in Cola Valley, well, AIDS didn't exist then. It was pre-AIDS, certainly in the UK, um, and then. I was living in Little Hold, Harrogate. I wasn't in a big city, so I wasn't surrounded by Terence Higgins Trusts and Mesmac and major gay bars and clubs with people handing out condoms and warning us about the the horrors of AIDS. So the only time you would come anywhere near that was going to Leeds, and I was literally going in for a night and coming back. So I wasn't building any relationships or any real depth of knowledge of the gay scene. It was literally in in the car, into the bar, into the nightclub, back to the car and home. Being aware of the fact that there was age, you were going into the city where it's more prevalent that it was existing. And you were saying that you went there, danced and came home. But you didn't live through the 80s not sleeping with anybody. Being being from a, a town or a small place, did you have that anti-gay, anti-AIDS thing that I best be careful who I touch when I go out? Um, I think I was just naturally always safe sex regardless of AIDS I think I was never into into having unsafe sex full stop and still still I'm not to this day good answer good answer not that I get much sex at my age can I just say I am open to offers let's talk about the fact you said you're going to the gating I I talked about apps now something that you don't really see now is chat lines which you 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 made quite a bit of money out of this phenomenon that happened with chat lines I made a few Bob (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah um so yeah in the in the chat line era uh I'd, i had a i had a couple of numbers you know a couple of chat lines and uh i used to have great absolute hilarious fun uh driving around particularly north yorkshire was my patch mm. um and the thing about north yorkshire is that it's 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 uh it's like the bermuda triangle of gayness <laughs> there is nothing from leeds to newcastle uh, and to hull that triangle that is nothing mm. at all except in the back in those days um because there was no apps there was no grinder hookups or anything like that mm. there was literally just the chat lines and old-fashioned cottaging and cruising and can, can we explain for those that don't know what chat lines are what cottaging is you say you've got a couple of numbers but so there me- were telephone lines premium rate telephone lines and you could uh so i would i would Go around North Yorkshire, bear in mind there was no no bars or clubs or anywhere, and I would leave my chat line flyers and stickers in in known cruising areas and, and at known active cottages where mm. where gay men would meet. And it used to be a hoot because I would go out on a in the car for the day on a on a Sunday or something and just do every every no <laughs> every anyway. And uh, it used to be quite hilarious, you know. You, you, but you wouldn't get away with it today. 
Uh, I remember you'd, what, be, the... you'd get done for littering. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the times I went out with you um, when you was distributing your flyers, I do remember you coming out of the toilet and going, oh, some guy's just deposited all his stuff all over the urinal. As you were like <laughs> posting your, your chat line flyers <laughs> yes. through there. Some of them took you longer than others to deliver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you were responsible for that deposit, was I you? I might have been. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the first times I met you, I was working as a chat line operator, which is someone who moderates oh, I how, you, how you speak on a chat line. Whatever happens when you get into private conversations, fine. But as long as it was clean at the time, I remember listening to a familiar voice. I mean, you probably know the story better than I do. For Well, uh, yeah, because I knew you were moderating on the other end. So I would come up with the things which I knew we'd have to, you'd have to ban immediately. And then I'd have to ring back in just to uh, to wind you up, but I can't say them. Yeah, you can. I'll bleep what needs to be bleeped. Well, it was, well, it was sick <laughs> liquor in Harrogate. That was, that was the one, that's the one where I barred you. From yeah, you that barred one. me from that. <laughs> <laughs> you, had, you had three attempts before you barred someone. Yeah, and I think it was then, a C-bomb. Yeah, and, the, and then we, we had a mutual friend in, who lived in Leeds who, um, who we used to have a laugh about, didn't we? And I used to say his name and say, such and such person sucks cock in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why do you think chat lines were popular then? Uh, well, it was the precursor to apps. Young people today probably won't won't appreciate it, but when I was young, and this was pre-chat line, the only way, unless you went to a gay bar or a gay club, when you were living particularly in a rural area like North Yorkshire, the only way you could meet other men was to go cruising. Now, that was hanging around spe- mm. specific remote laybys, specific woods, or or public toilets, and that was the only place that you could meet men. And you would say, well, I'll just pop out for an hour, and you'd go out at like 10 o'clock because it's, you know, pubs are shutting at half 10, oh. 11. And you, I'll just go for an hour because I'm at work at 9. 2 o'clock in the morning, you'd say, I'm going home now, that's it. You know? <laughs> and it would, and you just, well, I'll just hang on because, and even then, men would come cruising round. So like in Harrogate, the big cruising area at the time was Valley Garden, and you'd go cruising in Valley Garden. And you'd see somebody, well, they're quite nice, but I'll hang on because somebody better might come along oh, in 10 minutes. And then I'll, I'll hang on. No, then they're right, you know, but I'll hang on for another 10 minutes just in case someone better comes along. Mm. And the, the next thing you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and you're going, this is ridiculous. And you go home and you just think, well, I don't know, what was I thinking of? You know, and you've been there since 10 o'clock. But I suppose that's the same when they do on the apps. Or if someone goes to a sauna. Yeah, but now, but then came the chat lines. And people didn't need to do that as much if they could, as long as they could afford to use a chat line at fifty p a minute, you know. So you got people then on the chat lines, and they would arrange to meet from talking on the chat line. The cruising started to die, and then once the apps have kicked in, well, I think well, I'm assuming it more or less killed cruising and it's, and, it's uh, killed the gay scene in general. I think, yeah, to an extent. Yeah, yeah it certainly has. You, you, you people. Um, and particularly, I think, um, the younger people as well who discover the gay apps, but they don't go out in the same way. No, because they, they see the apps as somewhere to find the sex and going out is somewhere to mingle, whether that's a gay bar or a not gay bar. Well, yeah, I mean, in, I mean I, I'm mean, i still here in Harrogate and you, you listen to some of the gay community that lives in Harrogate, particularly, you know, the older ones, and they, they, they sit there and chunter into their pint of best bitter about, Where's all the young gay people gone? There's no new gay people coming in. And again, well, they're in they're in the main clubs with their straight friends because they don't need 
yeah. a specifically gay bar anymore. They meet gay men for sex, anonymous gay sex, off the apps. Yeah. And they go out with their straight friends who all know that they're gay because they don't need to be in the closet anymore like we did. Yeah. So they don't need a gay bar in a town like Harrogate. But that's one thing that I it stuck with me for at least 20 years, this, when you said to me that just for the price... Uh, the price of equality, we're going to see anonymity. I went to Copenhagen uh, to do a, a review of, of the gay scene. And the gay scene in, in a major city like Copenhagen was one specifically gay bar and the rest were all mixed. And that was because at the time they they had, to all intents and purposes, complete equality. The only thing they couldn't do at that time was adopt. Right, okay. But they could marry, they could do everything else. Um and it was a, a leading member of the gay scene in Copenhagen at the time who said to me, the thing that we have to remember is the price of equality is basically anonymity. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He says, well, when, when a young person comes out as being gay at school now, it's like, and I'm straight. You don't hear me going on about it. You've got equality. What more do you want? You're straight. I'm gay. Duh, 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 let's get on with it. And it's it's not as... It's not as clear. It's proving not to be as clear cut as that. But it's it, it is there is an there is an argument for saying that you know that we, do we need pride in the way that we had it? And there is an argument for saying yes, we do because mm-hmm. not every country is like Copenhagen yeah. or like the UK. There are countries in the world where we need to fight. I mean, look at what's going on in Hungary at the moment. You know, in Poland. Yeah. Um, and so we do need pride. We you know, um, and every. Why is it every Pride Month the news drags up people who've been beaten up? You know, it, we don't we don't hear about that the rest of the year round. It's only in Pride Month, um, so we still do need Pride. But I can sort of understand what they meant by the anonymity. It's not something that you need to bang on about every day in in Denmark. But do you think that's what's caused the rise in people needing to be identified as something? Because I, I know at university for me. We did the LGB at the time, and we fought for having no labels. Now, I think that we've got anonymity that suddenly everybody, or a lot of people, desire a label to be noticed or seen. So I I feel that back in the late 80s, early 90s, when I'd got into doing scene review photography for All Points North magazine, Gay Times magazine, um, and even before that, when I was just a gay boy on the gay scene, and, and having a, a good time before I discovered I liked doing the photography side. I think we were more one. We, the you know it didn't matter what ethnic background you were from. It didn't matter whether you were transgender, whether you were a, a drag queen, whether you were um, straight, bisexual, lesbian. Didn't matter. Everybody was one. And you go to. I always think one of my favourite places was the Flamingo in Blackpool. And it was just such a fun place. And it was so inclusive. And if I look back at the photographs from the time, you've got people of all ethnicities, they're dancing together, they're they're touching, they're hugging. You know, you've got lesbians and gays you uh, da- hugging together. You've got the transsexuals, you've got the drag queens. Everybody's one, under one label of being gay. And now it's sort of like, well, we've got a measure of equality. And the trouble is, because we've got a little bit of equality, is that actually turning into being a divide and conquer? Mm. Are we now less tolerant of each other, less inclusive of each other? Mm. I can't keep up with the all these flags and all these LGBT unofficial flags. unofficial flags and all of these 
LGBTQ XYZ. I can't keep up with it. Yeah. Um, and and in my eyes, I actually think it's bordering on being divisive. Mm. We're dividing instead of being supportive of each other. But what do you say if somebody's saying you can't keep up with it, we're dividing? And they'll say, well, especially I get in London is that Northerners are quite ignorant because there is an issue, but we're ignoring it. Well, how do you feel for that being said towards Northern gay men? Uh, I think it's the opposite. I think the gay community in the North is more is, is, is inclusive and accepting of everybody. I mean, look at the big argument at the moment about well, a big, big discussion about um transgender mm. and the you know is it part of our scene isn't it part of our scene people for it people against it well i'm for it if they identify as being part of the gay community then welcome mm. and we should be supporting them and sometimes i think this is what i mean about being divisive people are looking for looking for an argument looking for some looking for something to make themselves stand out and be more important than somebody else instead of Instead of what happened to brotherly love, what mm. happened to brother and sisterly love? But it, it it's I don't know. I, I worry about going forward where where we sit. But I think we're still more inclusive in the north, and it isn't about oh well we're ignorant. It's about the fact that no, we care more about each other. Do you, would you say with the attitudes in the LGBTQ plus community? that because of things like Trump and Brexit, what's happening in Poland and, and everything going the far, you know, one way or the other, do you think that has created some kind of hostility amongst ourselves as well? Because people are more vocal, they troll on Twitter, they say what they want to say. Um, I think it's early days to look at what's what's going on there. I think I would hope is that what's going on in Ho- in Hungary and Poland would actually bring the gay community together is, as one. Mm. Uh, to support those communities um, rather than it be yet another tool for dividing us. So so getting back to you using the chat lines as opposed to using an app now. On an app now, people tend to go for he looks looks fit or she looks fit or whoever, and then they'll want all the pictures sent to them and then they'll meet. You didn't have that on a chat line. No. So how how would you make that decision from talking to somebody going, I will meet you? Because I know a story from you, you've often pulled away in the car when you've told them to follow you. So how do you, you know, it's, it's massively different. How did you judge someone? You had to go by tone of voice. Um, you, you, there was more, more probing questions. Um, more, yes, Andrew Neil. <laughs> yeah, more personal questions, you know, um, about you know, what are you into? What are you not into? Da, 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 da. What's your build? What do you look like? Da, 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 da. Describe yourself in 200 words or more, <laughs> you know. So, so that you just have, that's what you had to go by, mm. you know. And, um, and sometimes you turned up and they were not as advertised. And other times they were, uh, they were a 10 out of 10, you know, oh, and nice. you go, oh my God. Was that the excitement of it, though? It was. Not knowing what it you're going to get. Yeah, well, but that was the same with cruising and cottaging. Yeah. You, you, what was what, the excitement of what's going to turn up? That's why I'll stay another 10 minutes, just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was the excitement. I mean, there was one particular occasion when I, on the chat line, when somebody came on, and uh, they were early 20s, and they lived in Thirst, which mm. is no mean trek from here, mm-hmm. you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning. Wow. And so you're chatting away, and it was, oh, you won't be sorry. I'm really good looking. I'm really fit. Da, 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 da. And, and they sold it. And I was yeah. like, right, okay. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Driving up the bloody A1 at two o'clock in the morning. Da, 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 da. Bear in mind, working at nine. 
And uh, anyway, I got there, and he was a, he was a twelve out of ten. Ooh. So it was, uh, and, and um, so we, we we met on the fringes of the school playing field. Oh shoot! I know. <laughs> <laughs> the shame. <laughs> the shame. Well, you did breach. Uh, well, you did. He did start talking about the fact you was a scene photographer um, for for magazines in the north, but uh, that that came around at the end of the eighties into going to the nineties. Yeah, eighty nine was my my first foray into into scene photography um there was a, a magazine in manchester called scene out mm. and um they had a ludicrous prize which was clearly totally bogus but hilarious enough for me to say do you know what? i'm going to enter this just because and it was the first prize was a trip on the Orient Express. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> and um and they wanted you to write a scene review and put some photos with it of your local town. So I took our one and only solitary pseudo gay bar in Harrogate <laughs> and rounded up a few of my better looking friends and put together half a dozen photos and wrote wrote an article on the gay scene of Harrogate. And I sent it in and Kelsey Priest, you know what? I didn't win. Uh. But I did come second, apparently. And the prize for coming second was they published your article. I mean, that's a big jump from the Orient Express to a second place. It is, isn't it? Yeah, nothing but getting your article published. So clearly there was no Orient Express. No. Um, And uh, so that was my first foray into writing. And it coincided. So that must have been mid, mid to late 89. And it coincided with a friend of mine in Leeds who was starting up his own, who owned nightclubs and bars and things. And it's coincided with him starting up his own gay magazine, mm. or it was—I think it was newspaper format to start with. And uh, he said to me, "Oh, would you like to do scene reviews, photography for the magazine?" And I went, "Yeah, why not?" And I and I had a horrible little camera. I mean, I didn't even have a decent camera. It was just a horrible little no Polaroid. Well, not quite Polaroid, but bear in mind it was still film. It wasn't even digital, so it was still on thirty-five mil film. And uh, and my first thing I ever did was for for the for them was a, the Hollywood Bar in Leeds, which was an upstairs bar mm. that opened gay bar, and they'd got Barbara Windsor to come and open it. No, yes, big babs, and um, God rest his soul. And so I rocked up with my tiny little unprofessional camera, and uh, I do remember there were a few eyebrows raised, you know, but it's not even a real photographer look, you know. Um, but I did it, and I got my review, and I wrote it, and they print, and they printed it, and everything, and it, and it one thing, uh, one thing went from to another, and eventually I um, I uh, saved up enough money and bought myself a decent camera, bought a Nikon. Um, so I, well, I got to it more seriously then, you know, I had a big flash gun on it and everything, and lens. Yeah. Oh, it was proper proper camera. We had a ton hanging around. It. We had absolute ton. But um, it's amazing when you have a camera strapped around your neck, how people react. You get a lot more people opening up to you. Oh, you're taking pictures for? Mm. Will you take my picture? Yeah. I'll sleep with you if you take my picture. Oh, yeah. And did you? I couldn't possibly comment on things like that. I'm professional. <laughs> the lady never tells. Yeah. And, um, and then it went, so that, but years and years and years of on, on film. Um, and it wasn't until towards the very end of my photography career that I went digital. But the one thing I did do was I, I haven't managed to keep all of them, but sort of I think I've got like ninety percent of the thirty-five mil film. Yeah. On on, on the negative, and I spent my lockdown projects not to save my sanity was sitting down with a flatbed scanner and um, scanning 
thousands and thousands of these photographs, some of which are absolute pants, um, and some of them which are absolutely stunning. And is this what brought around the, the Linden archives that you've got on Instagram? Yeah, right? so in the magazine, in the APN in particular, All Points North, I was out and about with Linden. That was my, so I was, not uh, wasn't Stuart Linden, I was just Linden. Sexier name, yeah, yeah. more appealing. And a bit more mystique. But, um, <laughs> so uh, I kept them all. And it was it was out and about with Lyndon. And um, so what I did was I thought, oh, I'll people. and Because so, I know some people today who I took photographs of then, and they would come for dinner and things. We'd, say, and we'd dig out the photos. We'd dig out the slides and look at the photos of, oh, my God, what was I wearing? Mm. And look, I had hair back then. How much lacquer did I have in my hair? All that sort of thing. You know, I can't believe I went out looking like that. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, I wonder, you know, in this day and age, we seem to be in a, a stage in society where people like looking backwards, you know, ancestry.co.uk yeah. and all of that malarkey, and people like looking backwards. So I thought, I'm going to scan these. I've had them sat there <laughs> for yeah. decades. I'm going to scan them. And, I'll, um, and then I was thinking, do I monetize them? Do I, you know, what do I, what, once I've scanned them, what do I do yeah. with them? And then I thought, you know what? I'm not really interested in making a fortune out of them. You know, people want to see them. They want to see them. I'll just put them on Instagram. Yeah. So I set up the Linden archives on Instagram yeah. and I just started posting them. I've not promoted it. I've not done any of this paid promotion. And it, it's just taken off. It's, you know, a few thousand people following it now, and um, but they're all genuinely interested, and, and uh, done a few interviews about it. We aren't we aren't talking just about Leeds, though. We're talking about the whole of the north of England. Yeah, I did. I did everything. For, well, I mean, I, I did some in the south. Um, you know, when we did Mister Gay UK and things like that. But ninety nine percent of my stuff is from Birmingham to Scotland. So, uh, and that's that was because that was the region that. All points north covered primarily, um, and even when then I used to bump into the guy who was the reporter, full time reporter for Gay Times, mm -hmm. Billy, who lived in Brighton. So he would come all the way up to Manchester or to Birmingham or to Newcastle, and I'd be there as well. So and we got we we hit it off. It's who you know as well as what you know in life, isn't it? And in the end, he said, "Look, you know, it's saved to save me coming all the way up here to cover the same event that you're covering. Do you want to?" do the stuff in the north for gay times so i said yeah why not so um so that's what so uh, uh, you know we got the big events like the pride so birmingham pride manchester pride those sorts of things he would come as well and the two of us would cover it but the, the ordinary everyday stuff and the first thing i ever did for the gay times was um people might remember a punk co punk artist called wayne county mm -hmm. And uh, he went off to America and became Jane County. He came back and he did a gig in Manchester as Jane County. It was mm -hmm. his first gig back in the UK. And I got the call, will you go to Manchester? We want one photo and a few words. And so off I tootled with my big Nikon SLR camera and my little Gay Times press badge that I'd got issued, no. with, issued with my photo on it and everything. Oh, I felt proper professional there. <laughs> And went off and photographed Jane County. That was my first gig for Gay Times. But then after that, that was I went all over, not just the north of England, but um, San Francisco, uh, Copenhagen, Prague. Yeah. So I did overseas bits as well. Yes, but Prague is where you, you actually met the uh, 
adult director of the Millennium, according to Advocate magazine, William Higgins, isn't it? Yes, the late, great William Higgins was a dear friend, yeah. Um, so I got dispatched by Gay Times to go to do a scene review of Gay Prague. And there was a, there was a good, not huge, but a good gay scene in Prague. And, uh, and so while you're there, you need to track down Bill Higgins, um, William Higgins. Um, the, I said, what, the William Higgins? said, yeah, apparently he's now living in Prague and he's got a bar called Drake's. And, uh, sure enough, he'd, he was living in Amsterdam and he'd sold up in Amsterdam and moved Prague, apparently the models were better. Um, I've all seen Bell and Me, that's yes. like the Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I got there and was doing my scene review. Anyway, I found Drake's bar and I went down there. And there was this large, because he was like six foot six. He was a big guy. And so it was an American guy. And I went up, because I didn't know what he looked like. He looked like, he does look like Father Christmas. Yes, bless him. And so I went up and said, excuse me, are, are you William Higgins? Because I'd heard the American voice and said, who's asking? So he's and he was very suspicious of of journalists at the time, even even gay journalists, because he'd been he'd been burned, stitched up by uh, interviewers in the past. So he was very very wary. But uh, I spent a few days with him, and he had a little Trabant, the old fashioned Eastern European, highly polluting car, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little little thing. And I remember one day in particular, I talked him into doing an interview. So I'd got my little handheld um, dictaphone. We went, poodled off in. He said, right, okay, well, I'll do it, but uh, we'll, we'll have a day out. We'll go to the lake. So we got in the Trabant, and I'm interviewing him while he's driving. And um, it was a nudist lake. Oh. Well done, Bill. <laughs> so yours truly had to parade naked. Oh, Interviewing Bill walking around a lake with your dictaphone and out, with my dictaphone out, and um, and he did it on purpose. I'll, I'll swear to this day, he did it on purpose. He was having a little chuckle to himself, um, but he was still very guarded in the interview, anyway. So, it with the interview was published in Gay Times. I sent him some copies over, thinking, please like it, and uh, he loved it. And um, we became exceptionally good friends for a good a good 20 years um and he sadly died christmas before last well i was there in prague mm. um, unfortunately he was I was with him as he was being loaded into the ambulance of a heart attack and it didn't make it okay so it was a heart attack so there has been various yes there's been various reports uh, uh of, of where he died and somebody i saw one report said he died in holland another and it's no he died in prague uh on zabrowska street outside his bar um he uh he was loaded he was still alive when he went into the ambulance because he was sat up on a trolley giving the ambulance driver hell as, as only bill would do and unfortunately he died in the back there and then in the back of the ambulance of a massive heart attack. no and that was um christmas before last you've been back since to kind of honor bill Yes, we went, uh, went over for the um, scattering of the ashes, which was delayed because of COVID. Uh, it was delayed a couple of times, but we um, we the um, he, he had a bit of, a couple of golden retrievers, um, beautiful dogs, Buddy and Ida, and they passed away um, as well. And um, so their ashes were buried in woods by a lake uh, near a, a country farm that he had. Hmm. We took uh, we had a minibus full and two cars full people in the end and we drove a few hours outside it's it's um it's a secret location so i can't say where it is yeah um but we went to the farm a couple of hours outside prague and um his ashes were buried and scattered 
with the dogs um, and in the lake, which is where he loved it. And we put up a lovely little plaque on the tree, wooden plaque on the tree, and uh, we all said our fond farewells. Uh, and and uh, just quickly for those who, who do follow William Higgins, Bill Higgins, what's happening with his empire now? Still going, still going. The empire still runs. Uh, so WilliamHiggins.com, it's still there. Um, models are still working. New materials being filmed. The legacy goes on. His team of photographers that he trained, um, so they film and photograph everything in in the style true to what Bill wanted. So everything is still done. You wouldn't know that he wasn't there directing. Yeah, that's amazing. But you you said that thankfully you had a, a friendship based on a good review, but you've not always had friendships out reviews, have oh, you? No, there's been <laughs> no, there's been a few. There's been a few. Um, there, there was, uh, there's, a, there's, there's, um, it's very easy to upset people. Mm. And, uh, there was one particularly in Wolverhampton where we, me and the editor of APN at the time, Gordon, we went to, uh, Wolverhampton midweek to do a review. He came with me for the, just for the trip. And, uh, the main club was closed cause it was midweek and I think it was bordering on winter. And so the basement was open. The basement bar was open called the deep. So it's amazing how quickly you can upset people because I wrote in the article, don't go midweek because you'll only end up in the deep. <laughs> and uh, and the owner took such exception to it, they were going to pull their advertising, they were going to break my legs and da-da-da-da-da. Oh. But uh, so there was all of that. But what made it worse was driving back on the M62, my car blew up. <laughs> and we had to be rescued by the RAC and take Gnome on the back of a trailer. Well, what, literally blew up? Yeah, literally. literally. The whole thing just went bang and there was oil all over the road and bits of engine. So it was, it, I remember writing a review of uh, of the new Penny in Leeds. This is my favourite. <laughs> my favourite. And um, I remember writing, because the thing about the new Penny back then was if you went when it was empty, if you went when it was quiet, it was awful. It was... Your feet stuck to the carpet. Um, there was all these jokes about you had to take your own toilet roll. You know, it, it was it was it was not a pleasant place to go when it was empty. Hmm. But if you went on a Friday night, a Saturday night, Sunday lunchtime in particular, when it was heaving and the atmosphere was, there was no bar better. It yeah. was fantastic. And I remember that the owner at the time was called Leslie Graham, and Leslie was famous for having a ferocious ferocious temper if you crossed her mm. uh it was drag queen as well so i wrote my i wrote this article and in it i said you know the problem with the new penny is if you go when it's quiet your feet stick to the carpet you need your own toilet roll da, 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 da. because the thing i prided myself on in the in the reviews was i told the truth mm. because i knew people would be going so I couldn't write advertorial. You know, there was pressure on me to write advertorial from the editorial team and from the owner of the magazine. But if I wrote sheer glowing reviews all the time, people would just go, well, what's he on about? This isn't, This doesn't look the same. So I had to balance keeping the editor happy but telling the readers the truth. So I wrote all this. But then I did say, but if you go on a Friday, Saturday night, Sunday lunchtime, it's banging and there is no better place. So the magazine came out, the review came out, and I was I was I was bricking it because mm. I thought I'm just you know I'm going to get beaten up here by Vicky Graham. I just can <laughs> see it coming. You know, I'm gonna, there's going to be a, a, a pint glass is going to be thrown across the bar at me or something. And I went in, and uh, Vicky was behind the bar, and he went, Lyndon, come here. I was oh sugar, I'm done for, yeah. you know. And uh, I went over, and he leaned across the bar, gave me a smacking great big kiss, and said, "That is the." best review i've ever read of this pub i have which wet myself laughing da, 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 da. 
And he absolutely loved it. And I was like, oh, thank God for that. I'm going to live another day. <laughs> uh, and this is, you, you was working for several magazines throughout this period of when you was growing from the Midlands to the North. You had the APN, you had the Gay Times, you've traveled all over and you still had a daytime job at the time. Yeah, I was teaching. <laughs> Like like a not a nine to five, it was like an eight to oh yeah, yeah, eight to late type thing. Oof. Well, so that was Mondays, but that was only Monday to Friday. You know. But you just told us about going out midweek to the yeah. deep. Yeah. So well, yeah, I do that, and there was one night in particular where I had to do a double header. I went to Liverpool, so I'd, uh, because I had my little posse with me, I had a little posse of friends with me, and we'd go off in the car, and we'd bootle off. We went to Garlands in Liverpool, I remember. Um, and there was a new club night opening in Manchester called Danceteria. And, uh, but that didn't open till 2 a.m. So mm. I had to double back from Liverpool to Manchester to then come home to Harrogate and do this review of Danceteria at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was in class at 9. <laughs> so, yeah, but that was uncommon. You'd go to Birmingham, you'd do a review in Birmingham, get home. Uh, and if it was if it was if you were photographing for Gay Times in particular, you had to bear in mind we're still on thirty five mil film. You had to go get back to Harrogate, go to the railway station, drop the films into a jiffy bag, and red star them to London before you could go home. Wow! And then you'd go to work, so you go home, get up, go to work, come home from work, and then sit at your computer and write the article before you could go to bed. So it was, you know, people think it's just straightforward. Have a night out, but it's not. You know, you've got you you've got the article to write as well. So, but did this um, bleed over into your your day job? Because they must have known at some point that you was doing that, uh, a secondary job. Yeah, I think the the, the word got out um, because at one point I had my photograph at the top of the column, so it was out and about with Lyndon, and there was a little face headshot. And um, I remember my my boss at the time pulled me to one side and said. Um, don't have a problem with it, but you might you might want to take your photograph off. No. Um. So um. So I did because I didn't I didn't want it to clash. You know, I, I, it was I was living two lives. You know, and I didn't really want to. The students were the students, and and if they knew I was gay, they knew I was gay. If they didn't, they didn't. But I certainly didn't want to put them in a position where they were being forcibly confronted by it yeah you know there were two different worlds that was my day job and that was my career and this was my paid hobby but what was the attitude around the gay community then because you, you've got the the AIDS epidemic just passed and then i guess it's pre-queer as folk so at what stage was the acceptance there um I, well it's for me it was it was um you know in the teaching career in particular i never i never never experienced any homophobia even from the ones who knew, it was it was young people were much more progressive. So I think, if anything, it was the any prejudice you got was from older people within the same community, or just older straight people. With older straight people, okay, yeah. I, I had a fantastic what seven seven years or six seven years of of doing the photography on the gay scene. Uh, I had a great time, but like all things, they must come like all boy bands, they come to mm -hmm. an end. And um, and I think uh, mine came to an end when when I was doing the double header at Garlands and Danceteria, and I'm in in Danceteria at three o'clock in the morning, and then there was white powder flying around everywhere, and the music was, in my opinion, was was just awful. You know, it was thump 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 thump, and I just I, I felt a total disconnect. I thought, how am I supposed to go away and write anything nice about this? Mm. I do not connect with this. This isn't my gay scene. You know, there was, there might have been drugs earlier, 
in the 90s probably was, but it wasn't as blatant. It wasn't as in your face. Uh, it was a much friendlier scene. It was a much more relaxed scene. It was about having fun. Yeah. Suddenly it become about drugs and getting off your face and there was a disco a new generation in my in my eyes either either that or i was just getting old yeah and maybe a combination of them both and i just thought i can't do this anymore i can't go away and write anything nice about this experience tonight and uh, i mean i did i managed to write something but i can't remember <laughs> what it was and so um i sort of let that it be known then that I was going to start petering it out. Yeah. And I started doing less and less of the out and about with Lyndon and um, doing more one-off things like Mr. Gay UKs and um, Pride events and the overseas gigs. But the daily, weekly yeah. gay scene stuff, I let go to younger people. And that was in the 90s? And that was, I think, 96. Well, coming up to 25 plus years, and now people are clawing at your door to get a hold of you and your photos. Well, this is the weird thing, because it's sort of like, yeah, I literally put the all the negatives, because the magazine, it was all done by hand. Mm. It was pre, you know, very much pre-computers to a great extent. Um, and the negatives would just end up on the cutting room floor and things. So I used to scoop them all up and go, this is ridiculous, you know, there's, there's an archive here. Mm. So... Even back then, I realized there was some historical importance to those photos. And I just created, um, I've got albums upstairs full of pages with the negatives slid into. So and I thought one day I'll, I'll digitize these. And you, I've said that for 20 odd years. Yes, one, since I've known you. One day, one day. <laughs> uh, and now I've finally done it. And uh, it took the best part of a year to do the labor of love, I have to say. There was some times when it, because it wasn't as straightforward as just scanning them. You had to sort of work out what were the best resolutions to scan them at, because believe it or not, you can scan them at too high a quality as well as too low. So you need them big enough to print, but not so big that you burst the quality of them. Yeah. You know? Okay. So th there was a very fine line to that. So I managed to find that some of them have, have, have got scratched and deteriorated over the years, but the bulk of them are okay. And there's some terrible photos in there that <laughs> never never deserve to see the light of day, and there particularly if they've got me on them. Oh, um, right. and, um, and, uh, and others, there's, uh, there's some absolutely magical photos. And so that's what led me to doing the archive, and I thought I'll slap these on Instagram, and if people like them, they like them, and if they don't, they don't. And the feedback has just been wonderful. Yeah. wonderful from people contacting me and going oh how fantastic they are and oh my gosh that was me in 1970 1993 oh what was i wearing what did it look like um and then you get the the poignant ones which, which are heartbreaking when they say oh thank you for sharing this photograph that was my lifelong partner who died Mm. Um, and I'm so glad I found this photograph. So, so there's a number of stories uh, that in the comments that people regale when they mm. see them. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Just from your archives alone, that popularity came about. But since the airing of It's a Sin on Channel 4 recently, you've even it's skyrocketed, hasn't it, for you? Yeah. So um, I think some people had seen it already, but then It's a Sin came out, which was about that period of aids immediately before my photography so in a way my photography starting in 89 was about hey there was life after the big big major 
AIDS epidemic, the party went on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still here and we're still queer, which was an old, an old saying. Mm-hmm. We're here, we're queer, and we ain't going shopping, I think, was, <laughs> yes. the, was the line. Um, so there was a great deal of interest. So I did an interview for Vice mm-hmm. um, about about that, uh, based, which was off, off the back of It's a Sin. So there have been a few other interviews as well. Yes, I, I saw a magazine called Crotch, which was very yes. entertaining. Yeah, so Ma- Crotch magazine got in touch with me, which is a very entertaining title in itself. Uh, lovely magazine, I have to say, giving, <laughs> it, giving it a plug, yeah. particularly issue five with my photographs in it. Um, and they contact me, and they do a little bit on on a different photographer each issue at the very back. And so they did a, a little mini interview with me, if you like, and um, and a few photos from the archive. And then I think the latest one was um, a mag- an e-zine done by Harry Clayton Wright called uh, You Ought to Know. You Ought to Know. You ought Good to title. Know. Great. I love it. It's You Ought to Know. And um, I'd had a few requests from other people as well, but some of them I just didn't like. Hmm. They weren't. They weren't what I wanted. You know, they looked at me. And I don't really want to do that. And um, so I have turned a couple down. Um, but um, you ought to know. I, there was something about it that appealed to me. So yeah. his the latest issue, issue four, um, is a big feature on the whole. The whole easing is about Blackpool. Right. And it's it's um, got a huge section of photographs of mine from Blackpool covering the Blackpool era and uh, an interview. And and for the for people who are listening that want to see your Instagram, don't give it. Yeah, at Linden Archives. Yeah, and uh, maybe a little bit of an exclusive because of the success that you've had as a standalone as Linden Archives, and then the response from It's a Sin. Um, this is leading to something quite exciting that's uh, happening in the future for you. Yeah, so it's extremely early days, extremely early days. Um, but um, we're currently uh, get, uh, currently getting a little team together, and uh, I'm hoping, if it all comes together, that we will be publishing a coffee table book of photographs of the archive with interviews or anecdotes from a few um, people, including hopefully a few celebrities from the time um and that will be coming hopefully coming out next spring very good very good but but it's a long way off uh we're nowhere we're not even ready to launch the kickstarter yet so when we do we'll probably go key but i mean (laughs) (laughs) but it's just nice that from pictures that you're saying are old and they're a little bit scratched and there's that nostalgia there that there's so much response in you know stuff that you thought i'll keep that because i think there's some value in the gay scene back then yeah that uh, they 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 tell a story um, of of the northern gay scene, and there's plenty of I feel anyway that there's plenty of publications out there that cover what's going on in the south, particularly you know the gay capital London. Mm-hmm. Um, but there wasn't that much kicking around about the north, and I think the gay north, and there's an issue around there about language, isn't there today about gay north, queer north? Mm. Um, in, when I was a teenager, queer was a derogatory term. Yeah, and I know there's this like there's an argument around with younger people about reclaiming the word queer. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't. I'm undecided about how I feel about that because to me that's got painful connotations yeah so is it the gay north or is it the queer north and if i say it's the gay north am i excluding people so there's oh, it's too, it's oh woke society, the really. wokes revoke yeah. the woke 
But no, I think you're right. I think the, the, the problem is if the younger people who are clearing this word don't acknowledge what connotation it has for different generations, yeah. it's when you dismiss that and say, well, you need to get on board because we've claimed it back. That's where the problem lies for me. Yes, I would agree with that entirely. I think, um, yeah, there, there, is, there is an element of acknowledging what went before and accepting that uh, rather than dismissing it and saying, we're right, you're wrong. You know, I wouldn't dream of doing that to younger generations. I'm trying to be as um, accepting and understanding of modern gay, queer, trans, LGBTQ <laughs> culture. You should do a pop quiz oh, on the letters. <laughs> yeah, sure could do. Um, uh, as I can be, you know, I would I would never dismiss anybody. And um, But in return, I expect not to be dismissed either. No, of course, of course. And I think there's a big big problem at the moment that people are blaming boomers or the older generations for a lot of problems that are happening now. And I think that's quite dismissive, especially within the gay community. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- and I think it's naive. I think it's very naive to think that. Because if it wasn't for the generations that's gone before, we'd still be illegal. Yeah, exactly. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have an age of consent. We wouldn't have gay marriage. We wouldn't have people being able to adopt. We wouldn't have the society that we have today. You know, And it can be lost so easily, as in Poland and Hungary. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, I think the, 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 young, the modern young gay community need to stop and think before they dismiss. Just acknowledge. Uh, just before we go, a couple of questions. In in the time you've been out on the gay scene and on all your photography, what has been the big turning point for you you've seen for the gay community? Oh, definitely. I think the 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 political things, the gay marriage, the right to adopt, the age of con- equal age of consent. Um, remember when I when I was sixteen, it was illegal to to have sex before the age of twenty one. I was narrowly, just narrowly missed to being completely illegal. No. So between since in my lifetime we've gone from from being completely illegal to be even okay. to equal equal age of consent, marriage, adoption. So those landmarks as we've gone on, and queer programming on mainstream TV. Mm. You know, queer as folk was a landmark. It's a sin. The gay movies that we've seen, you know, My Beautiful Laundrette, Maurice, all these sorts of things. You just are you going to update references for our younger audience? <laughs> <laughs> they need to look them up. Uh, just once again, before we go, give me your uh, social media handles that you want people to see your work. So just um, so we're on Twitter, uh, which is the Linden Archives, uh, and but the main the main profile is on Instagram. So at linden archives fabulous and they'll be all in the description of the shades of gay podcast wherever you're listening to it thank you very much Stuart, for joining us my pleasure yes at your lovely abode got any more wine <laughs> i'm driving back to london now <laughs> thank you very much and do tune to us for our next episode of shades of gay whenever that happens.